It is indeed my pleasure to be with you. I uh, occasionally listen to sermons online, and I listened to a sermon by Pastor Tom recently called uh, The Agapic Church. I don't know if you were here that Sunday, uh, but I wasn't, of course. But at the end of it, I was moved, and I thought this. I thought that church, meaning you, have done to him what you did to me. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you have to go back and listen to that sermon. Because at the end of it, you remember he said, I came to tell you one thing today. One thing. And he said, I love you. What a great testimony. Anyway, I'm not here to rehearse that sermon. I'm here to tell you a different one. (laughs) I'll be 57 years old in a few months. Uh, I don't think that's very old. But in my mind, it's really quite young. And this body that I inhabit, the fact that, you know, it's finished just about 57 years of living in the way we measure time, I guess that's, that's something to celebrate. But as time progresses in my life, I begin to wonder more with each passing year, is my life of any consequence? What I mean is that one can live a long life. You can even live a hundred years. But that life might not really mean too much. Length of life does not ensure significance. Now, I'm not asking if anybody would miss me. Uh, you know, of course, there would be a few people who would miss me if I were gone, if, if I were to die. I, I mean, I'm sure my wife would, and uh, my mother, and uh, some close friends, Wayne. <laughs> uh, but in time, they would all get along fine, and they would adjust to life without Hamish. Now, there are people, though, whose lives are significant in a greater way. Aung San Suu Kyi has spent most of her life, uh, at least the last two decades of it, in hot detention uh, because of her efforts to bring democracy to Burma. That's her crime. Uh, in 1991, a year after her National League for Democracy won an overwhelming victory, the military uh, nullified it. But just shortly after that, she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. She was sidelined for two decades. And then, before the first election came along, she was put back into house arrest. Six days later, she was released. And then you remember, as that country tried to make reforms, this past April, April 1st, 2012, Uh, She and her fellow National League for Democracy candidates won a landslide victory. In recent days, she's been allowed to travel outside her country. Uh, She has finally received her peace prize that was awarded her over 20 years ago. Because she has lived, the people of Burma have hope for a better future. I would even say the world is a better place because she lives. So, 
You have to live under house arrest for 20 years in order to live a life of consequence. Against great obstacles, William Wilberforce, uh, an evangelical member of English Parliament, fought for the abolition of the African slave trade and the abolition of slavery until they were both illegal in the British Empire. This battle consumed 46 years of his life, from from 1787 to 1833. The defeats and the setbacks along the way would have made an ordinary politician give up or adopt some other more popular cause. Even though he never lost an election from age 21 to 74, the cause of abolishing the slave trade was defeated 11 times on the way to victory. And then the, the, the law that abolished slavery throughout the empire did not come fully into effect until three days before his death in 1833. So, you know, Do you have to fight some great moral cause all your life in order to live a life of consequence? You know, I suspect I will not do such things. I suspect that I will not win such victories. I am not likely to discover a cure for cancer. Uh, I will not invent something to bless the entire race. I do not have millions to give to the poor. I have no great influence with which to change unjust laws, nor do I have the ability to help the hungry and the homeless. I'm just an ordinary man. Can an ordinary man live a life of consequence? Can an ordinary disciple of Jesus make a difference in the world? So I confess I'm ordinary. What about you? Uh, I, I don't know if I should break the news to you, but I suspect you're kind of like me. I suspect that uh, <clears throat> while you and few of your friends may think you're an extraordinary person, and I'm sure you are, in the greater scheme of things, you're just another ordinary person. Uh, you probably aren't going to discover the cure for cancer either. Uh you probably are not going to invent something that will make the, the, the people on this planet, their lives, infinitely better. Maybe you do have the resources, the influence and the power to right wrongs and bring peace, transform social problems, solve the moral dilemmas of our time. Maybe you do, but I don't think so. That's just my suspicion. I imagine most of you have this situation in common with me, that you find yourself, like me, one of millions, just trying to live life without messing it up too much. You wake up, you live the day that's been given you the best you can, and you're under no illusion that yours is a life that has a unique contribution to make. You know that if somebody were to Google your name, that there would not be an entry under Wikipedia. Now, now you probably Googled your own name, right? <laughs> we do that sometimes. And there's no, there's no Wikipedia entry for Hamish Bunton outlining the accomplishments of my life. Nobody cares. 
I'm just one of millions of ordinary people, and I suspect you are too. And when you think about it, you might even confess that after your death, apart from your friends and the tombstone that marks your resting place, there'll be re- little recognition that you lived at all. So you, so you might ask with me, is the life of consequence, is the significant life possible for the ordinary person? Well, I want to tell you yes. I mean, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have said all that I just said if the answer wasn't going to be yes. The Bible would indicate that it is possible for the ordinary person to live a significant life, to live a life of consequence. The biblical evidence that supports such a claim is all through the pages of the scripture. But I want us to zero in on one particular passage and learn what it has to teach us about ordinary people living a life of consequence. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, where I'd like to read verses 10 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. There the Bible says that in Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. How is it possible for this for an ordinary person uh, to live a life of consequence, we see it here in this passage. We know little about Ananias, but what we know comes from this passage and Paul's own testimony found in Acts 22. What we discover is not very much. It appears that Ananias is an ordinary man. He's first described as a disciple. Okay? This information is not very exceptional. For really he's one of thousands of disciples at this point in time. He lives in Damascus. We know that about him. But that's not exceptional either. There there are lots of people who live in Damascus. We know that he kept up with the news. Because when asked by God to go visit Saul, he responds, You know, Lord, I've heard many reports. So he's in the know. So Ananias, he's connected with the news, and uh, that's not exceptional either. 
And I'm sure lots of disciples in Damascus were aware of the regional news. So really, Ananias, from this perspective, is just an ordinary disciple. But is this not who you are as well? And I want to demonstrate is that in spite of this ordinariness, Ananias lived a life of consequence, and by doing so, he made a difference in eternity. I say this because it is this ordinary disciple that God used to bring Saul into a right relationship with him. It was Ananias that started Saul out uh, on his journey with Jesus. It was Ananias who communicated God's vision for Saul's life to him. Paul would later testify that it was Ananias who said to him, "Uh, What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You see what's happening here? It is this ordinary man that God is using to orient Saul to his new life in Christ. It was the same Saul who would become Paul and who would fill the ancient world with the good news of the gospel. It is Paul that God uses to communicate his word to those first churches. And his communication filled half of our New Testament. And who did God use to get Saul started out so rightly? An ordinary disciple who is almost never mentioned, who is rarely the subject of sermons, and whose story in God's story is summed up with just these few brief verses. But the influence of this ordinary man is incalculable. So how is it possible? Well, the scripture tells us. And what we discover is that there are three things that were necessary. First, Ananias had to be able to hear from God. You will note that the Bible tells us that God called to Ananias in a vision. Now, you know what? I really don't know what that means. But I do know this. I do know that God spoke and Ananias heard. And he responded. Initially, all God speaks is his name. And isn't that how you get somebody's attention? Like, we're so used to living in a noisy world, we ignore many voices around us until somebody calls your name, and then you, your ears, it's like you stop everything. You look around. Who's calling my name? When the Lord Jesus called Ananias' name, he understood it was Jesus, and he said, Yes, Lord. God called his name. Ananias responded. Now that God has Ananias' attention, uh, he continues with his message. And we know that's to go lay hands on Saul. Uh, Now, Ananias has some concerns about that. And he voices those concerns. And the Lord responds appropriately. But what we're privileged to see here is the conversation between the Lord Jesus and an ordinary disciple named Ananias. Uh, Had Ananias not been able to hear from God, Uh, He would not have responded, and the Lord would have chose somebody else to make this visit to Saul. So here's the point. This ordinary disciple must be able to hear from God if he's to live a life of consequence. If the disciple of Jesus, if you who follow Jesus for any reason cannot hear from God, then you cannot respond to God when God speaks. Jesus in John chapter 10 says that his sheep listen to his voice 
and he calls them out by name, and they follow him because they know his voice. Now, interestingly, in our text, this is exactly what happens. The Lord Jesus does call Ananias by name, and Ananias immediately responds by saying, Yes, Lord. It's obvious that Jesus and Ananias know one another. And because Ananias knows the voice of Jesus, because he hears the voice of Jesus, he can be part of God's story in a way that is small, but incredibly significant. So, you ordinary disciples of 2012, what are you doing to place yourself in a position to hear from God? If you cannot hear from God, then you are choosing to live an inconsequential life. A life of little significance. The one who cannot hear from God is not able to participate in what, is, what God is doing. And then he misses out on being involved in things that are shaping eternity. If you want to put yourself in a place to hear from God, you at the very least have to do it. Do two things. One, avoid sin. Okay? Or just avoid. Two, you have to spend time with God reflecting on His Word. Now, I want to tell you that you're able to do both these things. These are not too hard. They're not too difficult. They're not beyond your ability. Recognize today that if you are a believer, then God has given you a new nature that resists sin and wants to embrace holiness from its very inner being. This is God's spirit in you, but you must cooperate with Him. When you sin as a believer, when I sin, and and we, we do, right? But I want to tell you, when I sin... It's because uh, 99% of the time I want to. It's not because I was fooled. Not because it snuck up on me. Not because I was trapped. It's because I made a decision that the promises of sin were greater than the promises of God. Now the spirit God has given me strives against that. So we cooperate. If you're a new believer, then the pattern of sin may be ingrained in your flesh, but you have a mighty ally in the Spirit of God who will help you break that. Jesus died so that he could break your slavery to sin. That's one of the reasons he died. You'll celebrate that later on today. Because you have God's Spirit in you, you not only wish to resist sin, but spend time with your Heavenly Father. There's some, the Spirit is drawing you to spend time with God. Now, I don't mean open your Bible, read your Bible, shut your Bible. That's almost of, of no consequence. I mean, you, you get to read the words, and that's of some encouragement. But you need to reflect on what God is saying to you. And for me, that means picking up a pen. It means writing in a journal. God, what are you saying to me today? And as you spend time listening for the voice of God, you become accustomed to it. And as you record down what God is saying to you, don't lose what God's saying to you. You're going to need it. Either that day or in the days ahead. You become more and more accustomed to understanding how God speaks and how 
how God calls to you so that you will be able to say with Ananias when God calls your name yes Lord so so these two things will help you be able to hear from God resisting sin and spending time reflecting on his word to you it grants you the capacity to hear from him and if that's so then you can begin to live a consequential life because to live a consequential life one must be able to hear from God this is what Ananias did but secondly Ananias had to be willing to say no to his fears and yes to God we discover in this passage that Ananias initially is reluctant to do what God has asked in verse 13 Ananias says Lord I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem so you read between the lines you know what he's saying um, he's saying Lord are you kidding go go see Saul Lord what what are you asking do you want to see me jailed Lord is that what you're up to or do you want to see me die I mean because Saul's done that as well this man is a disciple killer Ananias recognizes that there's risk here with the task that Jesus is giving him. And it's a very real risk. It's not imaginary. Saul has been ruthless in hunting down and jailing the disciples of Jesus. He gave his approval for the stoning of Stephen. His reputation has been fairly gained. The risk is real. But Ananias loves Jesus more than the comforts of life. Ananias loves Jesus more than his own life. And after Jesus addresses his fears, he goes directly to Saul with the message that Jesus has given him. So Ananias says yes to Jesus, which means he must say no to his own fears. Now I want to say this is how it is with people who walk with God. People who walk with God and live lives of consequence must say yes to God in spite of their own fears. Esther did this when she went uninvited to see the king. Simon Peter did this when he stepped out of the boat onto the water. Ordinary disciples of every age, if they are to be involved with God in shaping eternity, will say no to their fears so they can say yes to God. So what fears do you have that keep you saying, uh, from saying yes to God? Have you noticed that fears abound? Uh, fears about the future, about children, about health, about the economy, about relationships, about security. The list of fears is endless. It's how astounding, uh, it's how astounding how quickly fear surfaces the very moment God asks us to do something. In fact, you may be thinking even now of a particular fear that's holding you back from fully embracing what God has asked of you. Will you let that fear hinder you from being a part of what God is doing? How do you know that that fear has not been designed, especially by God, for you to bring you into a deeper relationship with Him? To show you that when you trust Him, when you say no to your fears and yes to Him, He is able to carry you through, above, beyond your fears, 
and use your life in significant ways. Will you allow that fear to stop you from participating in what God wants to do? As a believer, you either let fear have its way and then live as its captive, or you let God have his way and live in the freedom that he gives to those of his disciples who say yes to him. Ananias said no to his fears. He said yes to Jesus, but he also did something else. Ananias had to be willing to invest in another person's life. The task Jesus gave Ananias meant that he had to put down what he was doing, uh, lay aside his own agenda for that day, and get involved in another man's life, another man of whom he'd only heard bad things. At this point, Ananias does not know how it's all going to work out. He, he has no guarantee that the risk that he's taking or the time he was investing would bear fruit. But he would do it because Jesus asked it of him. He was counting on Jesus' vision, Jesus' plan for Saul's life being the right one. And so he could discard his own plans for the day and go and invest in Saul's life. Now, I don't want to make too much of this point, but I believe it needs to be made. If a disciple of Jesus hopes to make his life count, it's going to be a life of consequence. It will be in how he's invested in others more than what he has done himself. We know virtually nothing about Ananias, except this one thing. Ananias was the disciple that the Lord Jesus used to get Saul rightly connected to Jesus and oriented to the mission that God had for him. This is what we remember him for. In fact, I spoke to someone the other day and I said, oh, I'm going to speak on Ananias. And they said, Ananias? Like uh, the guy who was struck dead in the New Testament? Ananias and Sapphira? <laughs> we, just, we don't know much about this guy. And this was a person who had grown up in church, by the way. But Ananias was able to disregard his, his, whole, his whole agenda for that day and go invest in another person. <clears throat> it's interesting. Paul is sharing this testimony uh, in Acts 22, he speaks of Ananias by name as one that God sent to him. You know, when we get to heaven, I, I can imagine meeting the Apostle Paul one day, and he might say, Oh, Hamish, uh, nice to meet you. Hey, uh, forget about me. Have you met Ananias? He's the guy that started me out. Ordinary disciples see their lives become significant and shape in eternity when they're able to put aside the things of this world to invest in somebody else whose value to the Lord cannot be measured. So in whom has the Lord asked you to invest your life? Have you been able to do it? Or has your own agenda interfered with it? 
This is how ordinary disciples move beyond the ordinary to live a life of consequence. That is, a life that really matters. Not just for now, but for eternity. The ordinary disciple disciplines his life to hear from God. He says yes to God and no to his fears, and he's willing to invest in the life of someone else. So how are we to apply the, the, the truths of this passage to our own lives? What will you do differently now that you have understood the meaning of this small part of the scripture? Well, you don't have to do anything if you don't care to live a life of consequence. You don't have to do a thing. But if you desire to live a life of consequence, if you desire to live a significant life, then you may need to make an adjustment in one or two or three of these areas. My encouragement to you is that regardless of your current age, whether you're 17, 27, or almost 57, regardless of your age, that you do not allow yourself to settle for less by living a life that can be described by the word ordinary, this world would love for that to be true of you. And it works hard to distract you with your own desires, your fears, your, your agendas. It fills up your life with, with so much stuff of little eternal value that you're too tired and too stressed to give yourself to living a significant life. So I want to say to you, don't settle for that. Make whatever changes are necessary so that you can live this life with God and live a life of consequence. Now this morning I've been talking to disciples. Ananias was a disciple. If you're here today and you're not a disciple, then you have no hope of living a life of the kind of consequence, of the kind of significance that shapes eternity like we've been speaking of today. And, and the thing that you would do before you do these three things, because you can't do these three things unless Jesus, if your Savior and Lord, unless you responded to his invitation to come follow him. And that's what this call would be to you. He would call you by name and say, come follow me. Come follow me. Before I conclude, <clears throat> let me just say this. Imagine how many more souls there might be in the world today if we took this dream to live a life of consequence seriously. Can you imagine what God might do if all of us, if daily we put ourselves in a position to hear from God, can you imagine what amazing things God might be willing to do if you were willing to say yes to Him and no to your fears? If you were willing to risk something for God, can you imagine the miracle of transformation that God might bring about if we all sought to follow the example of this one ordinary disciple instead of allowing our lives to be consumed by our own needs and wants? What might God do if each of us sought to live lives of consequence? Let's pray together.